The following podcast contains spoilers and words like and gosh Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, thank you for joining us. Uh, this is We Watched a Thing. I'm Topher, he's Billy. How are you? Mate, I'm excellent. How are you doing? I'm alright. We've had a nice little long weekend here at the moment, which has been nice. Extra day off work. Yes. The feet have been up at We Watched a Thing Towers. <laughs> what, did, what did you get up to? Did you do anything fun? I caught up with some friends. Um, and then, you know, baby stuff. <laughs> yep, that's that's the way it tends to go, isn't it? Lots of that. I made a pretty amazing barbecue brisket yesterday, which was good fun. <laughs> nice. Did you go a bit hard on it, mate? How are you feeling today? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I ate a lot of meat and I drank a lot of beer. And yes, I've been a little bit dusty today, which not the best, given that I've got, you know, like seven hours of flights tomorrow and I've got an essay due at the end of this week. But yeah, I'll tell you what I did do this weekend, though. I saw an excellent, excellent film because I got to the cinemas and watched Fellowship in 4K. <laughs> Nice. It was amazing. It was such a great experience. Are there any uh, any changes to the film other than um, the transfer to 4K? Well, you know what was really interesting? The main thing I realised was how long it's been since I've seen the theatrical cut because I was like, this isn't the movie. <laughs> yeah, you're missing things. Yeah. It's it, like that. those first 20 minutes, it's amazing how different it is because you don't- I didn't remember that the theatrical cut doesn't have Bilbo sitting down writing his novel and that huge voiceover that he does. In my head, that's just the movie. I um, I basically consider the theatrical versions of Lord of the Rings the trailers. <laughs> <laughs> the, the extended cuts are the actual versions of, of those films, as, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, but the the 4K transfer was good, was it? It was excellent. You know what? Even better than the, the 4K visuals was the audio. I mean, there's nothing like seeing those movies in a cinema with, you know, the Dolby surround. So, hearing the Nazgul scream, just that- It's like, yeah, this rock. <laughs> the, good, the donkey howl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But that's not what we're talking about this week, is it? Not mainly, no. no. We're talking about, did you um, did you get the food that you wanted to watch Minari? I did. I got some dumplings. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We are talking about Minari, uh, which is a 2020 American drama film written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung. It stars Stephen Yun, Han Yuri, Alan Kim, Noel Kate Cho, and Will Patton. And what is it about, Toph? It's about a family just trying to get by, Billy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Trying to carve out an existence and a life for themselves in this big bad world. That's right. Yep. It's about a Korean-American family in the 1980s who moved to the Ozarks to start a farm. All right, let's get into it then. So, film's been getting a lot of- critical acclaim uh it won foreign feature at the globes last week which quite controversial as i'm sure you're aware of the controversy around it i mean let's start there this is for those that are confused this is an american film that has quite a lot of korean language in it obviously over 50 percent because that's what the globes have deemed is the cutoff for foreign language feature but 
to me, this is like, you know, it's almost like when you read a book and you're like, yeah, this is the great American novel. Like, this is a very American story. This is not uh, like, yes, I mean, in a wide branch, you could say there's a lot of talk of Korean culture in the film, but this is really a very American story about an American family. Is that how you felt watching it? It does have that whole, you know, the it's like an overused term in um, in in some American, whether it's whether it, yeah, general media, film, television, whatever. But the whole pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, yeah, thing, yeah, um, they fucking love that shit, yeah, and and, and that's what they're doing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was funny actually. I was reading today the the point of view of um, Korean people watching this film because I didn't realize that Stephen Ewan, um, not a native Korean speaker. And so, there were a lot of people talking about how obviously he had worked on his accent and speech for this because this is the closest anyone's seen him to sounding authentic Korean. And, and obviously, that was, you know, a lot of work he put into that. Um, I thought all the performances were fantastic. I mean, I know that you're not a child actor fan, but little Alan, <laughs> he was great in this film, I thought. Yeah, good luck not liking any of the performances in this film, uh, kids included. Fuck, what a little champion. Um, <laughs> he's cast himself because is, is, it's Alan, the, li- the little a- kid. A- Alan. So, the, the character's name is David. Um, yeah, great. <laughs> I can't help but applaud the move from um, Lee Isaac Chung of casting uh, young Alan as young David. Mm. Um, David being a standard- I think, I think a fairly literal- Stand the characters in this film, as I understand it, are a pretty literal stand-ins for the Chung family. Yeah. Um. So he's like, "All right, I need to cast myself." Um. Oh, <laughs> here's an absolute little boss. I'll go with him. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is where you can feel more of that um, Korean influence as well. Uh, American features, and this is part of the reason that I think we tend not to like child actors, is that they're not they're the worst. Well, yeah, the actors themselves are the worst, but the child roles in general, like you think about the the typical child role, they're not written as real children. They're written as adults who look like children. And like sometimes that works. You know, we spoke about Kevin McAllister in Home Alone, who, you know, somehow Macaulay Culkin managed to pull that off. But that dialogue is not realistic. Whereas here, I think what Lee Isaac Chung has managed to write is a- child who talks, acts, and thinks like a child. This is Alan Kim's first acting experience ever, which I think tends to, you know, you look back at when we, a long time ago now, when we saw The Florida Project and Brooklyn Prince was the same thing, just completely out of nowhere. I think they tend to get better child performances that way, honestly. Yeah, there's probably something to be said for that in in just finding a kid who, rather than going the full- uh, the full theatre kid route, just going, finding a kid who, like, do they get it? Yes. Do, and not not do they get acting, do they get this project? Can I just put them in front of the camera and say, go? Um, especially when they're this young. Yes. Yeah, because he's, he's a young kid. And I agree with you. I think, you know, I, I grew up around child actors, not successful ones, but... <laughs> 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 but... But here's the thing. Most kids around that age who want to do acting, they're either doing commercials 
or they're doing theatre. And there is a giant difference between acting for theatre and acting for film. When you're acting for theatre, you do need to be bigger and broader because you're trying to fill the presence of a stage. Whereas on film, and especially a film like this where it's a very quiet film, that is not the kind of actor you want. So, yeah, I, I agree that just finding someone who gets the role rather than someone who is an actor, I think, it, especially in this case, it really worked for me. I heard an interview with uh, Lee Isaac Chong who said that he actually he didn't um, approach his family before he wrote this film or, or made the film to say, hey, are you, are you okay with this? <laughs> um, he just did it. And um, had, had he approached them, it's hard to imagine they wouldn't have been okay with the project because it has such an affection for all of its characters and it and it treats all of its characters so tenderly definitely yeah uh, there's a really there's a kind of really sweet moment right in the in the early parts of the film when they very first turn up to the property and the way that um Stephen Yun's character the father kind of looks to young David mm. like the affirmation yeah that, that he's doing an okay thing here and it's on the one hand it's just a not it's a sweet moment but yeah it's also a really good bit of visual storytelling of to, to just let us know that he's not he's not certain of what he's doing here to the yeah. extent that he's looking to his not infant son but <laughs> young young kid to be like yeah hey david have i have i already shit the bed here <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Stephen Yun, I think, does a lot of great um, facial acting in this film. Um, I think he does a really great job. And I agree that there is such an affection for every member of his family here. Even the scenes where the father and the mother are fighting, which happens quite a bit in this film, because it's all seen from David's perspective- I don't know. There's, there's, You can still feel the love, I think, in those scenes. And obviously, like, there's, you know, these are just things that couples go through. And, like, if, if you just decide we're moving to a shitty farm and you don't really discuss it with your partner and don't, you know, like, yeah, you're going to fight. Yeah. When she's like, wait, you, you said garden. <laughs> yeah. now, you, now you're talking about a farm. Yeah. Like, even though a, a lot of it is staged- and particularly in the first, say, third of the film, where a lot of the scenes are actually from the father's point of view, where, mm. where we see him getting into the farming and everything, which I think kind of inherently puts us on his side because we see what he's doing and what he's yeah. trying to do for his family. Despite that, when they, when they are arguing, you're like, mate, she's got a point. Yeah, but I think what I was trying to say is that because the arguments are even seen from David's perspective- I feel like, yes, as an audience member, we're like, yeah, she has a point. But we get the sense from David that he doesn't blame either of his parents. He doesn't see this as his dad's fault. He doesn't see it as his mum being naggy or anything. He just sees it as his parents. And I think that that's a really nice feeling that um, Lee Isaac Chung was able to get through. Like that, I don't think that's an easy thing to do to- to have characters fight and for you to not feel some element of blame towards one of them. But in this film, you really just don't. You just feel love for all of them. It's a, for such a, a small, you know, a fairly small production. I don't know what the budget of the, the film was, but it, it's not a Marvel film. Yeah. It's pro not a massive, I think it was a 25 day shoot, I heard. Um, so budget, a of, fairly, budget of 2 million. 2 million, right. Yeah, that's very 20, low. Uh, 
and tw- 25 days is a, is a short, is a pretty, that's a quick shoot. Mm. There's still, like, I couldn't help but appreciate watching it, the clear care that was taken mm. for the image in this film. They really seem to have been at pains to look after the quality of the image they were capturing despite the constraints of both time and budget. And, like, yeah, you've just said $2 million and a 25-day shoot. This is a really impressive-looking film. I agree, especially when you consider how many of the scenes are outdoors. You know, there's a lot of farming shots and stuff. And when you've only got 25 days, you don't have the luxury of waiting for the sun to be in the right spot. So the fact that it looks as pretty as it does, like there's never harsh shadows. Like they did an amazing job lighting this film, I think. And there must have been massive diffusers and stuff. I don't know how they got such clean shots during those outdoor farming scenes, but it's a really, really nice looking film, I think. I think there's some real intelligence in the way they shoot a lot of those outdoor scenes at the property where a lot of them are shot in and around Magic Hour where, the, yes. where they just have really great light um, and they kind of lean into the sexiness of the image there. The the lenses tend to be almost wide open with this nice drop-off, just yeah, very nice, kind of classically nice-looking images. There are times, like you said, where they probably couldn't pick and- Like, 25-day shoot, you can't always pick and choose when you're shooting. Yeah. So, when it is kind of more sun overhead outside, they tend to just let scenes play out significantly wider mm. and be like, let, okay, we're just not going to go in that close to our actors in this scene because, quite frankly, they're going to look like shit. And so, like, with the, you know, as as you'd imagine, there's just, like, so many scenes you've got to shoot per day. All of the scenes at the creek were shot in one day. Really? Um, And then you think about how many of those involve little David. Mm. And then, of course, with child actors, you've only got them for a certain amount of the day. Like, you can't just be like, okay, this is creek day. Yeah. We're going to run from sun up to sundown nonstop. Like, you've you've got him for- I, I, I don't know what it's about, six hours or something like that. Yeah, which would that might sound like a lot of time, but for a film day, that's very short. <laughs> Most film days would run 12 to 15 hours. <laughs> yeah, just how, like, how many takes of scenes were they doing? Yeah. Was some, like, was it just total Clint Eastwood style? <laughs> just like, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> you know, when you get another take, Clint? <laughs> no. <laughs> That, that was, I mean, I, I know that the audience can only hear you, but I've got to say, looking at your face, that was a pretty great Clint impersonation. Yeah. yeah. Looked just like Captain America at the end of Endgame. <laughs> <You did. laughs> and again, like just sticking with camera, there's um, there's a lot of, I got to got to be really intentional choices here of whose eye level the camera is placed at. In certain scenes, it's not just always at the eye level of whoever's speaking. There's a lot of change up actually of what you know, whether it's David's scene or sometimes it's really looking down on people in particularly in scenes, as I recall anyway, with scenes where there's a reasonable amount of conflict and tension, they really change it up a lot. So it's not just this straight up shot reverse shot, people just talking at each other. 
at eye level, um, which again, I think just it just speaks to how well they used their resources um, in a in a production of this scale. You must have liked the score. I was just about to bring up the score. Loved the score for this film. <laughs> um, fantastic. Really, really great. It's it's never overpowering, but it's always very present. Like, for such a quiet film, there's actually quite a lot of score. But it always is just the right level there. And it, it, it emotes without being over the top and showy. It, it's really a lovely score. Yeah, aside from just being great music, um, one of the great things I think you can say about it is that it kind of just melds into the imagery. Yeah, which on to screen me, to me is the point of a score. Like when it, a score should be that when you listen to it, you can't help but picture the the film in your head. Like you don't ever want to hear a score and go, "Oh, what movie is this from?" To me, a really great score, it instantly comes to your mind. Do we have? I'm kind of just casting because we're kind of really getting to the pointy end of award season here. Soul's probably a pole position, isn't it? Yeah, I'd imagine And that's so. because we've got this double Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross nomination because they did both Soul and Mank. Yeah. Which for a lot of people are actually maybe one and two. Yeah. But you could you could imagine this world where, where Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor vote steal off themselves. Yeah. And someone like, and, 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 and like, someone like a Minari yeah. just- Slips up the middle. It could happen. Yeah. Getting through to awards, um, I actually forget, do the Oscars have the same 50% rule? Is that how they also decide what is foreign language and what is best picture? Well, the Oscars changed their award a couple of years ago to best international feature. That's right. Which this, so, which this is which this is not. No, so this could be in the running for- I mean, you would hope that this would get a best picture nomination. I'd be shocked if it didn't, to be honest. Yeah given just where it currently seems to sit in the discussion and yeah. the, uh, the quote-unquote narrative, if you like. I would also like a, a screenplay nomination for this film. I think it's, it's, as you say, it's written with such warmth. Do you, have you heard about how and when it was written? No. So Chung had, had kind of thrown it in on filmmaking. He was, this is like two or three years ago. This is like probably three years ago. Yeah. He was like, all right, this is just, this is not happening. And accepted a job, I, I believe, in South Korea, um, teaching film. I actually, I did hear. That, I heard that he had he was just teaching university. Yeah, and so yeah, this was kind of written along. So you know, do, do up some lesson plans, then I guess write some screenplay or whatever, and then probably I, I actually suspect it was kind of with the mindset of okay, then when this doesn't happen, I know I'm done. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah. this is the project I need to just get off my chest and then lo and behold plan b and a24 are like okay yeah look and here's the, the i i know that we've said this before again giant giant props to a24 i think that we're so lucky to live in this time where there are producers like that who are picking up projects like this because it just wouldn't have happened in the past and they're doing some, like, not everything they put out is brilliant. You know, they did Uncut Gems. <laughs> Which is brilliant. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm just so grateful that, that a film like this could be made because it's clearly one of the best films of 2020. Um, Brad Pitt's track record of jumping on as a producer on films has got to be 
pretty good, doesn't it? Did he produce this? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, wow. Because, plan- yeah, Plan B is, is Brad Pitt's. Yeah, of thing. course it is. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. he's. I, I would think he's got to have a pretty high batting average as a producer. Yeah. I mean, are there any other nominations that you'd like to see this this grab? I, I don't think it has any shot at director. I feel like director is actually a fairly stacked category this year for the first time in a while. But I would like to see it get writing. And, you know, even Stephen Yun for acting, I'd be completely happy with. Yeah, they can do themselves a favour and run Stephen Yun in supporting. Absolutely, yeah. yeah you know what? I mean, pick a character. and I mean, they're going to pick the adults. Yes. But pick a character and they and they and they should be running them. Yeah. At least for a for your consideration campaign. Like whether or not they actually get nomination, you know, who knows what's gonna happen there. But absolutely A twenty four should be putting them forward for sure. No doubt. Um I, I agree that screenplay feels it's it's that kind of you know, a film of this scale that a lot of people respect, but you mm. know it's not like it's gonna run the table. On, on Oscar night, yeah. oftentimes it is a category like screenplay where we're like, we do want to recognise you. Yeah. And yeah. so this is wh- this is where they choose to do it. And and I do, f- I feel like screenplay is a, is a weaker category this year than, um, than best director is. I, I think that there were some, there were, and there were some great directorial debuts this year, but I, th- I feel like screenplay, this definitely could have a shot. So do you know, so this was a, well, we've said it a few times now. Small production, $2 million. Do you know what his next film is? Because it's going to cost more than $2 million. Let's see. Is it an MCU joint? It's not. Hmm. I have no idea then. It is the live action remake of Your Name. Oh, for real? Oh, shit. Oh, I am keen for that then. Fuck. I mean, as we both spoke about how beautifully shot this film was. And there's actually there's a lot of parallels. I, w- I w- was going to bring this up earlier. One of the things I love about foreign cinema is how closely linked everything is to the environment. You know, we brought that up nearly every time we've done an anime on the show, like Your Name. And this is the same. Those are, when they first arrive at the farm, and you know, they see like the caravan, and and um, Stephen Yun is like, but that's not all. They go out the back, and then we just have a series of shots of this field that are just absolutely gorgeous. I could really, really see an adaptation of Your Name really working wow that's that's got me excited yeah wow good on him i mean that will probably be, be an absolute train wreck now but i mean probably adaptations <laughs> of animes you know usually are um good for him though that's a that's a big project that for a while was japan's biggest grossing film so yeah it's just been and that's been kicking around year. in development for a long time yeah well i believe that was a 2016 film your name and yeah, and kind of immediately they were like, "All right, let's cash in." Yeah, um, and it's taken until now, I think, to to nail someone to it. Wow, that's 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 really exciting, actually. So great for him. Not great for the class that he was going to teach. <laughs> I think he's going to be unavailable for the next twenty years. You'd think so. You'd hope so after a film like this. All right. So how are you scoring it? Uh, look, I, re- I, re- I totally like the film. I don't actually. I'm not as in love with it as. Many people do seem to be. I'm a 7 out of 10. Um, I do, yeah, I like this film quite a bit. I feel exactly the same way. I too am a 7 out of 10. I walked into this thinking that I would absolutely love it. I thought maybe it would wind up like a 9 for me. Um, But no, I agree with you. I I think it's just a really nice, lovely film. 7 out of 10, yeah. 
Um, all right, cool. What are we getting to next week? Next week, we are going to get to I Care A Lot. Yes. Yes. Uh, Netflix film, is that correct? But weirdly enough, in Australia, is not on Netflix. <laughs> Yes, I care a lot with Rosamund Pike and Old Mate Tyrion. The Dinklage, yes. All right, yeah, I'm I'm keen to check that out. I've heard um, a lot of things about it. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and we'll catch you next week. Watch a movie, folks. 